You're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Well, good morning and welcome to The Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and Wow, what a year it has been. What a year. We, we are so excited to celebrate Christmas Eve with you this Thursday. And really, I, what I want to do is finish this year the way that we started this year. We, we believe as a church that a, a core value for us is to give God the first of everything. We believe in the principle of the first. And so we open up every year with this 21-day fast, like Robbie just talked about, this 21-day fasting and prayer season. And then this year, so that's how we started 2020. And then this year, as we close together on Christmas Eve, our final service for the year, man, we want to just worship and give it to God and celebrate what He has done and what He can do, even in a year like this one. And so, uh, we just hope that you'll you'll find a way to join us online for that on Thursday night at four o'clock, and then it'll be on demand after that. We made it easy for you. You can find it on demand just by going to our website, gatherashville.org, and you can either click watch live or watch on demand if it's after four o'clock. And so. Get your family together and, and, and put it on the, the biggest screen in your house and, and just worship together and enjoy it with us, man. We, 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 uh, we are so grateful for everything that this church has done in 2020. It, it has been a really difficult year, but I, I just want to celebrate you. I believe that as a church, we have really risen to the occasion. We've served our community like never before. We've served one another like never before. Every story that I've heard of someone in our church who's fallen into need or someone who's been sick and, and has needed someone to come around them, all of it, the way that people have turned up and showed up for that has been incredible. We've been able to bless and, and partner with new ministries this year to be a part of the Asheville Dream Center's beginning in a really hard year and to come alongside them and to continue existing partnership. It's just, it's been a hard year, but it has really been an incredible year for ministry. And so we're really looking forward to whatever God has for us in this next year. Start thinking now about that fast. I told our production team this morning that I really think that uh, we need to do a total fast for 2021. I'm talking water, nothing. I mean, we got to get this one right, guys, okay? Whatever we did last year, let's do something different this year. Let's get it, let's get it, let's start getting our hearts in that place now because we're going to have a better year in 2021. Come on, somebody. Well, hey, today we're wrapping up our series called Finding Jesus, Finding Jesus. And really, my, my hope was after the year that we've had to finish on some good news. I wanted to have a series that was really centered on good news for the last three weeks, the last three uh, worship experiences of this year. And so what we're doing is we're finding Jesus. We're looking at who he is outside of the Christmas story. And this week and last week, we're looking into the Old Testament and some of the ways the, the people who lived in the stories that were told in the Old Testament showed us who Jesus would be to us. And then 
uh, on Thursday, we'll wrap up this series talking about really who, who Jesus is in the season that we're in, how we find Jesus in the darkness. And so um, I, I'm excited about that. But today, as we wrap it up, uh, we're going to be looking at a different story. Last week, we talked. I told a story of, about Hosea and Gomer, and it was a love story. It was really the, the idea was finding the way that Jesus loves us. And this week is about redemption. I want to tell you a story about redemption. I believe that, that the Christmas story is a story about redemption, real redemption. And so we're going to look at another story that talks about that. Redemption is just a, a big churchy word that means to be restored to your original purpose, to be restored, to get put back is what it means to be redeemed. Today, I want to tell you the story of Ruth and Boaz, and it's a redemption story. And it begins in a time of famine and poverty with a woman named Naomi who had two sons with a man named Elimelech. What a fun name. Again, if you're pregnant this year and it's going to be a boy, Elimelech, for your consideration. They lived in a place uh, that neighbored Israel called Moab. And so it was not Israel or Judah. This was a different country. It was called Moab. And their sons married two Moabite women named Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah and Ruth. Orpah and Ruth. And for a while, things were going just the way that they should. In that, in that culture, that they were, they were doing pretty well. They had married off both of their sons and, and they were preparing to continue the family line and to have that. Things were going all right. And that is where the story begins. It begins when Naomi's husband dies. And see, in the culture that Naomi lived in, a woman was completely dependent upon her family. And then once she was married, her husband. Women couldn't own property or land, and therefore when one became a widow, it was written into law different ways that their culture was meant to care for them. Normally, that responsibility would have been given to her husband's brothers or to their sons. So when Elimelech died, it became his son's responsibility to care for their mother. But with no other explanation, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 5, it tells us that both of her sons died as well. And so our story begins with three widows living out a tragedy without many options for what they can do next. Naomi learns that in her hometown, a small rural village in Judah called Bethlehem, that the Lord had provided a good harvest and food. And so he, she returned home to the land of her ancestors. Today we're going to tell a story about redemption in a little town called Bethlehem. I'm getting in the Christmas spirit already. I'm feeling it. I'm fe and, and, and I'm seeing some pretty nice Christmas sweaters out there this morning too, which I'm enjoying as well. I said it's a handsome Christmas sweater Sunday. You don't have to tell me. I know that this is my most handsome Christmas sweater. And so it's a Christmas story. It takes place in a little town called Bethlehem and a beautiful story of redemption is about to unfold. Naomi has made up her mind that this is her only real option, to return home to Bethlehem where she has family, where there's people who are responsible for her, where the famine that has affected Moab has not affected this place. There's food there. There's, there's harvest there. And so she's decided she has to do this. So she tells her daughter-in-law, daughters-in-law, 
that they can return to their homes and find new husbands. And she releases them of any legal responsibility they have over her. And Orpah, after many tears and arguing, she finally relents. She agrees and returns home, returns home to the village of her people to start a new life. But Ruth just won't do it. She replies in verse 16, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn away from you, turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So the two women went on until they arrived in Bethlehem. Naomi said, I'm not going to argue with that. Ruth is determined, and she's loyal, and she's kind. She's living in her tragedy, and her circumstances are impossible. But she's decided she's going to make it work. No matter what it takes, she's not going to abandon her mother-in-law in the process, and she's not going to give up on the dreams that God has for her. And there, in that moment, in Bethlehem, they do the very best that they can. They get to Bethlehem, and they're probably staying with some family, or maybe even on some of the land that belonged to Naomi's husband. They could stay there for the time being, and they could be on that land, but they could never own it, and they could not farm it. It was the culture that they lived in. But Ruth was determined to make her life work out. So she says to Naomi in Ruth chapter 2 verse 2, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. In order to find food for Ruth and Naomi, Ruth is, is walking behind the people who are harvesting and picking up whatever falls out of their bags, whatever they drop as they go. She's just picking up the scraps left behind. This was a common practice for the poor in those days. And again, at this moment, Ruth is doing the absolute best she can on her own to redeem her life. I wonder how many of us have lived through these tragedies in life where we see our original purpose go off the rails. And it's not always loss the way that Naomi and Ruth experience loss. Sometimes our own choices lead us into tragedies. Sometimes it's a change in career we didn't expect or an illness or a disability that we didn't see coming. And sometimes it's just the tragedy of life. Life is full of loss and gain, hardship and victory. On our own we can get by, but we were just made to do so much more than get by. We were made with a purpose. And we were gifted to do more than we could ever imagine on our own. We just can't get there by ourselves. For a long time, one of the toys that my daughter Dagny, my two-year-old, loved to play with was a PlayStation 2 controller. A PlayStation 2 controller hooked up to nothing. The PlayStation 2 was in the attic, but she thought this was the best thing. She'd, she'd walk around playing with this controller, thought she was really living, you know, and she loved it. And then we went on a trip to stay with my brother-in-law, and he had a Wii U with Mario Kart. And she saw all of her cousins using controllers to play games and saw the characters on the screen responding to the controllers. And it was like, boom, all of a sudden, she connected the dots. And she said, I haven't been getting everything that I deserve. I haven't been living in the life I was created to live in. I, I, there's so much. And from that moment on, that 
controller meant nothing to her. It wasn't going to be good enough. It wasn't, I gave her a Wii U controller that wasn't plugged in because I really wanted to destroy my nieces and nephew in Mario Kart. That's one of the great joys, I think, of being an uncle is when your time finally, I'm like, you, you, you kids merely adopted the darkness. I was born into, okay, like it's, I was ready to go. And Dagny had to play with the controller that was meant for me because she understood now that she had been missing out. We got home and I tried to give her a non-working remote and she just, she was no longer happy with it. No way, not anymore. Now she knew what she'd been missing. Now she knew how much better life could be. She had to have the real thing now. And I think sometimes this is what we're like before we discover our purpose. We may think we're happy but we have no idea how good it can be. We have no idea what we're missing out on. And once we discover it, nothing else will do. Once we get a taste of the life we were meant to have, nothing can replace it. And so I try to imagine how difficult it must have been for Ruth and for Naomi to have had the real thing, the life that they were created to have, to have a, a taste of purpose and meaning and then to have lost it. And now there's absolutely nothing in their power that they can do to get back there. And so Ruth is doing the very best that she can on her own, but it is not even close to what she's been hoping for. Ruth was made for more, but try as she might on her own, she had gotten absolutely as far as she could get. And in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth, verse 3, it says, As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Boaz was the owner of the land that she was picking up leftover grain on. He came out to see the harvest that day and noticed her out in the fields, following behind the harvesters and picking up the grain that they were dropping. And immediately, he began to show kindness to her. He allows her to keep doing what she's doing, but he also gives her a, a place at the table that he's eating at to eat and a place to rest, he tells the people who are harvesting, make sure you drop enough that she brings home enough food today to eat. He just provides for her and, and tries to show kindness to her, and it goes on that way for a while. And one day, Naomi tells Ruth that it's time for her to stop trying to do all of this on her own, and Naomi does her very best to, best to set up Ruth as a suitor for Boaz. And there's some Hebrew laws that say who's responsible for widows. And Boaz is in that line for Ruth, but not in the first position. So he has to take it before a council. He's interested, but he has to take it before a council. It says this in chapter 4. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. And just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. This is the man in position number one. So Boaz calls out to him, come on over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. And then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to your relative, Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. And the man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. But then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. 
All of these laws had been set into place. This sound, I know that this how this sounds in our culture today. The transactional idea of who's going to marry who, it, it, it's, it's, it's a disruptive to us. But you've got to understand, this is thousands of years ago. And th- these laws existed in this culture and originally out of a, a, a desire to care for these people, to make sure that these women had someone to watch over them, to care for them, to help them carry on the family line. These were all there originally designed to take care of them. However, as happened with many laws along the way before Jesus showed up and reset the clock, things became a lot more transactional than they were spiritual. Things became more about what was going to be good for me than what was going to be good for you. It's one of the things that we as people tend to do. We tend to take something that was meant to be good for you and start to ask, how can this also be good for me? That's what's happening in this conversation. Boaz reminds the man, if you buy this land, if you take the land that is technically yours, you also are taking responsibility for the people who are attached to it, Ruth and Naomi. You have to marry Ruth. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Well, then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because that might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. The cost that this relative wasn't willing to pay wasn't a financial burden. It was that if he took this land, he would have Ruth to be his bride and his future would become tied to hers. She would become a representative for his family and for his future. And she was a Moabite who had lived through a lot of tragedy that was well known. She was imperfect in the eyes of the culture she was living in. And so to be associated with her was a risk. And she wasn't willing to do it. So the man wasn't willing to do it. But Boaz was. It says that he made it official right there. He took his sandal off. Isn't that how we should still solidify our contracts? We're going to take our shoe off. Now you're looking at my stinky foot. I'm looking at yours. Nothing could be more intimate than this moment right here. Takes his sandal off. And right then and there, he makes it official and takes responsibility for the land. And he marries Ruth and takes responsibility also for Naomi. The Hebrew law called him her Goel. It's a word that means guardian redeemer, guardian redeemer. He gave her the opportunity to be completely and fully redeemed. And he offered her life and purpose beyond her imagination. In chapter 4, verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to his son. And then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and who has been better to you than seven sons. So Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. And he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Jesus was born in this town, Bethlehem, because he was a descendant of David. This story is the story of one of the ancestors of Jesus. And I believe that this story exists in Scripture as its own narrative because it gives us such a good, clear picture of what Jesus would do for us. Ruth and Naomi 
had to live in the aftermath of tragedy, and so do many of us. And when we do it alone without God, even when we do our very best, it can be hard to feel like redemption is even a possibility. And if we're honest, tragedy or not, life apart from God is struggle. No matter how hard we work on our own to find peace and hope and joy and satisfaction, apart from God, we always come up shorthanded like Ruth. Our very best amounts to only being able to gather scraps of real blessing. I believe that God sets our purpose, the future that he has for us in our hearts. That's why, like when Dagny discovered how good it was to actually have a working controller and nothing would ever be good enough again, if we don't enter into purpose with Jesus and we don't understand what he's done for us, nothing is ever good enough for us. We just continue to search and search and search, and on our own, we can never get there. We never get where we're looking for. We never experience the fullness of satisfaction. Boaz was able to redeem Ruth and Naomi in ways they could only dream of on their own. He showed them kindness. He gave them provision. But more than all of that, he gave them hope and security and purpose in life. He led them into a legacy that wasn't just momentary, but one that would last for generations and lead into eternity. Ruth would become the grandmother of a king. And this is what Jesus does for us. When we surrender to him and we allow him to be our redeemer, he has the power to actually redeem us, to set us back on our original purpose. He gives us peace and satisfaction and joy beyond anything we knew that we needed or wanted, and he restores us to the purpose of our creation. So three things that we can learn about Jesus from the story of Ruth and Boaz. First, he redeems what we cannot. He redeems what we can't. And we want so desperately to be able to get by on our own. We start clamoring for it as children, for independence. I can do it by myself. Dagny loves to get things all by herself. And so the main problem with that is that she's only two and a half feet tall. It's hard to get things on your own when this is how big you are. And so to get the stuff that she wants in the kitchen, she has a bar stool, a metal bar stool that she slides all around our kitchen to be able to reach it. I can tell when Dagny wants something because from whatever room in the house I'm in, I her as she scoots this thing around to reach what she wants. As adults, we want purpose and peace and meaning in our lives, but we're just out there sliding our bar stools around on tile trying to reach for it in places like our jobs, our relationships, our money, our own work, and it can only take us so far. We just discover that each level of success leaves us wanting for more. Like Ruth, on our own, we can only get the scraps of real satisfaction. Jesus does for us what we just cannot do for ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, 
We were by our nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it is by his grace that you have been saved. Paul uses this example because it's the best way to describe it. Without Jesus, we were dead in our sins. And even when we are still living, we can't experience life the way that we were made to. And just like a corpse can't will itself back to life, we are helpless to get ourselves where we were made to be. That's what Jesus can do for us. He breathes new life into us. He makes us come alive again. He does for us what we could never do on our own and what we could never do for ourselves. Boaz is able to completely redeem Ruth's life and purpose and give her more than she ever thought was possible by becoming an ancestor to a future king and even more important, to the Messiah. He takes her out of the tragedy she's living in And he sets her back on her original purpose. No matter how hard you try, you will never find what you are looking for on your own. Jesus is your redeemer. And he is the one who can take you from wherever you are and set you back to your original purpose. Second, he redeems our identity. He redeems our identity. One thing the writer of Ruth makes clear is that by Boaz taking Ruth as his wife, He was tying his reputation and his future to hers. This was enough to make the other guardian redeemer turn down the opportunity. It says in verse, in Ruth chapter 4, verse 5, on the day, Boaz reminds him, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property. And at this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Eventually, Boaz, essentially, Boaz is reminding his relative that if he buys the property, he will also have to marry Ruth, and her future is going to be connected to his. He doesn't want that. Boaz, on the other hand, does it without hesitation. This is what Jesus does for us as well. He takes whatever legacy or reputation We have whatever temporary small legacy we could leave, and he connects it to his perfect, pure, eternal legacy. He takes the identity that we've made for ourselves, and instead of us overwhelming him, he overwhelms us and says, I'm going to give you myself as your identity. It says uh, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. One of the things that we get in our heads Sometimes the, the reason, one of the things that gets between us and entering into a relationship with God is we believe, well, God wouldn't want any part of me. I, I've made too many mistakes. I know who I am, and who I am is bad. There's no way that the creator of the universe actually wants anything to do with me. But that's what Jesus wants exactly, is you, is to connect his identity 
to yours, to call you as one of his children, to say, the promise that I made to Abraham all those years ago, I want to carry it on through you. I want you to be the heir to this promise. Jesus was so passionate about this that it would blow everybody's minds during the time of his ministry. He was constantly hanging around people that were ruining his reputation, that were making it seem like his legacy would be tarnished. They said he's a drunkard. He's always hanging out with these party animals and these tax collectors and these immoral people. He's with sinners. We don't want anything to do with him. But Jesus said, no, these are exactly the kind of people that I want to be associated with me. I'm here to connect myself to them. Boaz was able to take a Moabite woman, not even one of Jewish descent, who was widowed with no children, and he made her an ancestor of Jesus. He carried out the promise of Abraham through her. And that's the same thing that he's doing for us. He took her legacy from one of tragedy to one of victory, and he is still doing that today. Whatever legacy you walk in right now, whether it's a legacy of sin or shame or guilt or anger, or it's a legacy of failure or flaws or maybe a legacy of struggle, struggle to matter, struggle to get by, struggle in general, whatever legacy you walk in, before you meet Jesus, he takes it and he redeems it to the legacy he created you to have. The legacy of a child of God through faith. The legacy of the promise that he's given us. The legacy of eternal life and all those you would lead there in Jesus' name. He attaches his name to us and suddenly we get to live as sons and daughters of the king. And finally, he redeems our future. He redeems our future. That legacy that Boaz redeems for Ruth begins the day they get married. And her whole life changes beyond anything she thought it could be. Her life has purpose, meaning, joy, satisfaction. It's better than she ever imagined it could be. And it's good. And every day had been a struggle trying to do it on her own. And now she was living in the purpose of her creation. That's what Jesus does for you as well. And it happens the moment that you commit yourself to him. The, the day that you say, Jesus, I want you to enter into my life, you don't have to have it all right. You don't have to be put together. You don't have to have your life in order. Just in that moment is like Ruth's wedding day. From that moment forward, your future is redeemed. You are set back to your original. You may have work to do. You may have to find freedom. There may be some things in your heart that you've got to work out, that you've really got to press through. And it can be hard work. But the minute that you say, I'm yours, your future is redeemed. It'll never be the same again. It's no coincidence the church is called the bride of Christ. He redeems our future as he connects it to his. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Paul reminds us that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And those blessings aren't just physical blessings. 
They're not just us getting the things we think we want. No, it's more important than that. It's bigger than that. It's more eternal than that. It's spiritual blessing. Well, spiritual blessing is far greater than any physical blessing you could ever receive in your entire life because your spirit is in greater need of satisfaction than any other part of you. And your spirit gets blessing in relationship with Jesus. He redeems it. He sets it back to its original purpose. And its purpose is to be connected and united as one with him. His Holy Spirit fills you up, gives you what they call in the Hebrew word for it is halal. It's where we get the word hallelujah. And it just means absolute praise, completeness on the inside. In the deepest parts of our spirit. I don't know what your future looked like before you met Jesus. Maybe you don't know him yet. And your future is the very best you can make of it. And you're out there picking up the scraps in the field thinking, I'm doing all right for myself. I'm doing pretty good. But deep down inside, you know, there's so much more that it can get so much better for you that there is something waiting for you on the other side of this that is bigger than anything you're able to do on your own. God doesn't want scraps for you. He wants the whole harvest for you. He doesn't want you to have to go and scrape by every single day trying to find meaning in your life all for yourself. He says, actually, I've already got meaning for you, prepared for you. I've got, I've got good works in mind for you to do that I created you to do. I've given you an identity in me. I've given you a purpose in me. I've given you things that only you can do for my kingdom that are going to fill you up like nothing else. And our future is directly connected to our ability to say, I accept. Maybe you're working your way through this life trying to find purpose and meaning and trying to make a difference and be a good person. And maybe you even have what looks like blessings. Or maybe like Ruth and Naomi, you're barely surviving and your life looks like a tragedy and your future looks like more of the same and it's uncertain and it's hard and it's empty of hope wherever your path is. There is one today who was born in the little town of Bethlehem all those years ago. And he was born in that place in the most humble of circumstances, in the most unexpected way, so that he could take your future and redeem it for something bigger than you ever imagined. There is hope for you today. You have a redeemer who would take whatever your future holds for you right now, however, however it might look, and redeem it back to the purpose he created you with. That's what Christmas is about. It is the story of the greatest move of redemption that would ever happen in all of eternity. It is the story of the day that I didn't have to try to do it on my own anymore. If you're here today or you're watching with us online and you've never made that commitment, you're still just trying to get by, trying to make it work, living in your tragedy, thinking about the purpose you could have had, the life you could have had, or maybe just wondering if there's more. If that is you today, it is 
simple. All, all the work has already been done for you. It didn't end in the manger scene. It ended in an empty tomb. And because of that empty tomb, because Jesus went and became the only sacrifice that you would ever need to make it right to with, between you and God, because Jesus would go and take all your sin and all your mistakes and every part of it and take it upon himself so that your slate could be wiped clean. And then he would go in the tomb and just three days later, he would defeat death once and for all so that there is a better future in mind for you and I because of all of that, because that's where Christmas was heading. All you have to do is just say, I accept the free gift of eternal life that's been given to me in Christ Jesus. I accept it, forgive me, I put it behind me, redeem me, I am yours. If you're ready to make that decision here today, every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just pray this prayer with me? It's as simple as a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for redeeming my future. Thank you for redeeming my identity, God. And thank you for seeing me for all that I could be. I give my life to you. Forgive me for every sin, every mistake. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own. I need you. I commit myself to you from this day forward, everything that I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Gathering Church podcast is produced by the Gathering Church creative team. Want to get involved? Fill out a connect card online at gatherashville.org. Find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.